1: Brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl
0: Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast. Stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Eliza Hull, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much for having me. Now, this is going to be an interesting podcast, I know that. Eliza is a musician, writer, journalist and disability advocate. She was a contributor to the anthology Growing Up Disabled in Australia. She created an ABC Life podcast series about parenting with a disability called We've Got This, which became one of their most successful series ever. Eliza has now edited an anthology called We've Got This, in which 25 parents who identify as deaf, disabled or chronically ill share their stories about parenting. I mean as parenting's hard enough i'd imagine that having a tool like this is really useful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I really created this book because when I was uh, pregnant i realized that there just wasn't anything out there that represented parents with disability in an accurate way. Everything that i found would paint it like it was a burden on children to have a parent with a disability. And so That's what I wanted to set out to change in the world by creating a book like this that I desperately needed. Talk to me about your
0: disability.
2: I have a condition called Charcot-Marie-Tooth. So it's a neurological condition. I've had it since I was five years old. Uh, I started just falling over at school and mum and dad didn't know what was happening. And so I was taken to hospital. And during that time, there were a lot of conversations about me (laughs) and not, uh, involving me, not talking to me. So it was very confusing. At the time, they didn't know what what was happening and I was diagnosed with something that would actually uh, potentially end in death. And then due to a a doctor that kept researching and looking into what was going on, I then was diagnosed with Charcot-Murray tooth. And it's been a, a disability that has affected me differently day to day. Uh, I mean, right now it affects the way I walk. So I I walk, you know, very differently and I I fall over most days because I have a a muscle loss and I also have sensation loss. So I can't feel things as much in my hands or in my feet and in pain a lot, um, I guess, because of the way that I move and walk. And I also have, you know, cramps and fatigue. And you know it does affect my parenting quite a bit, but I feel like as as a disabled person, you constantly have to be creative and adaptable and problem solve so I feel like I was actually really set up to be a great parent because all through my life, you know when I arrive at a building, I have to negotiate how am I going to get into that building as I, as I can't get upstairs so I just yeah, I just feel like as as people with disability we're actually truly set up to be parents. Mm. So go back to when you were diagnosed.
0: How did that affect how you then felt about that? I mean, you know, firstly, I guess there's shock. Is there grief? Is there? Talk to me about that and what you remember of that time.
2: I just felt very medicalized, and Mm. I don't blame my parents for that at all because everybody wants what's best for their child Mm. and ultimately they didn't want me to be in pain. But at the time, yeah, I guess I just desperately wanted to be fixed. It was always just how can I get better? How can I fix my disability? To the point that I remember I had several operations all through primary school and high school. And I was a wheelchair user throughout those times. And because I just felt so... like a, like I didn't fit in. I even remember once a surgical operation, just lying to my friends and saying, oh, after this operation, I'm going to be able to join in, in sport and I'm going to be able to walk and I'm going to be able to run. And yeah, because I just, I really wanted to believe it at that time. What were the operations about? uh, Rectifying uh, what was happening. So because of the way I walked, I had growths that um, emerged on my feet and so they, that, that was real, quite painful. So those growths were cut off. Um, my toes are like claw toes like, and so they put pins in my toes to try and straighten them so that I um, found it easier to walk and also just wrapping the tendons around the feet so that I would wa- walk, I guess, with a more standard gait. But some of the operations, in fact, I guess, yeah, actually made it harder to walk in the end. So, yeah.
0: So so mentally, when did you decide that this is it and I've got to live with it rather than fix it?
2: To be honest, it took me a really long time. Mm. Um, I'm a musical artist as well and so stages, not accessible and often I would get my band mates to lift me up onto the stage with the curtains pulled so that the audience couldn't see me. If I ever met anybody whether it was to do with music or a job interview I would often try and make sure that I was there before they were there so that they didn't see the way that I walked. I was just so afraid because I think it really comes down to lack of representation mm-hmm. when I, you don't see yourself in movies or on TV or in the music industry. And so you feel like disability is a bad thing and a deficit. It really was only until I became pregnant with my daughter that I was like, hold on, I'm about to have a child. And if I don't be authentic and and real and model that for her, like, what am I really teaching her. I want to show her that she can be whoever she wants to be. And so that was really what created, I guess, that journey into realizing that actually I don't have to hold this weight anymore because it was very heavy and I I can be myself. And when I started uh, becoming myself, all these doors started to open and I've realized that I can make great impact in the world and start shifting attitudes when it comes to being a disabled person and a disabled parent. Mm. Um, Thinking about you growing up,
0: I don't know if you know this, but many of our listeners do. I grew up Lebanese-Australian, so I was always different in primary school. You know, we stood out like a sore thumb in a primary school in a very white gleam at the time. And I feel as though being a child can be, you know, fantastic as, as it was for us, you know, we had a really, really lovely childhood, but it's also hard because you cop a lot of scrutiny, you know, that, that is definitely there. You know, the challenge of, of growing up is, you know, particularly with a disability or somebody like me who, you know, was subjected to terrible racism, but it, the funny thing is for me, and, and I want to know what it's like for you. It doesn't make me look back and think "Wow, it was
2: terrible I had
0: a terrible time I don't have that feeling about it
2: yeah I can really really relate to that um I think it was it was both for me like if I look back at that time I think disability during high school made me more creative and artistic and meant that when I wrote songs as a teenager that I had a lot of emotion and so I actually see it as quite a positive and I actually I met really interesting people at high school that I still class as friends now. And they felt different as well for different reasons. And Mm. so it was kind of like a little bit of a club in a way, uh, a feeling of connection with these friends. But high school wasn't easy as as well. And often people would tease me uh, or, you know, call me crippled. I remember a teenage boy walking behind me and mimicking the way that I walked and making noises. And so there was some bullying that happened, but, you know, I guess that can happen to a lot of people
0: as well. Mm, Definitely. What did you do? So tell me, talk to me about your career and how you came to writing.
2: I studied journalism at school. I remember as a young child writing in my diary that I wanted to be a singer and a writer and so I always knew deep down that's where I wanted to go and journalism felt like a safe (laughs) version of writing and yeah I've always written in journals and um, loved creative writing it's been music and creative writing has been a real kind of escapism I guess especially when things have been hard due to disability but I've had quite a a broad career um, created the podcast series of We've Got This um, for ABC, worked with young people in prisons, um, teaching music, worked with homeless youth, um, teaching music, went to Cambodia and taught storytelling and music and studied at Berkeley in Boston in America, uh, traveled singing. Yeah, so it's it's been quite varied and mm-hmm. now my focus is music, writing and disability advocacy. Mm. So those three parts. Would you say that music kind of helped you through life? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, now number five is my lucky number because five is when I started singing and at age five it was also when I developed my disability. Mm. I see them as so linked. I think it was just so So incredible to have that outlet any time that I fell over or was in pain or had been teased at school or just was struggling with my identity. I turned to music and it's such a release and just a way to creatively express myself is just, you can't beat it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, whether, whether it's music, whether it's reading, just to have something. Uh, that you do outside of your normal day and I know for you your music is also part of your career but it does I think it calms the mind quite a lot. Absolutely. Okay so you you obviously decided you wanted to have children now firstly that's a big decision for anyone but talk to me about your decision to have a child.
2: It was a big decision because I have a 50% chance of passing on my disability so my disability is genetic and so it was, yeah, as I said, it was, it was a big decision that I didn't, I didn't take that decision lightly, but I do remember going to see my neurologist and telling him that I was excited that I was going to have children. I'd just met my husband-to-be and we had decided that we were going to have kids. I thought that he would just give me some advice and some tips on how to be a parent with disability, ways that I could adapt Instead, he I was met with discrimination and he looked at me and said, I, I don't think that you should have kids. Have you thought about your options? And, you know, there's a 50% chance of you passing on your disability. Maybe why don't we look at other options? Ultimately, he just tr- tried to persuade me not to have kids. And if I had have listened to him, I, I wouldn't have the two wonderful children that I have today.
0: How did you process that? that when you leave that office, that doctor search? How did you process that?
2: I just felt shame and I felt deflated. Yeah. And you trust medical professionals. So mm. I started questioning whether I should have kids and kept going back and forth. It, it, it was a hard decision anyway for me because I know what the world is like and the world is not built for someone like me or someone with disability. It's There are so many barriers, whether that be attitudes or physical barriers. So I know that the world is disabling and I have had a lot of discrimination, whether that be people staring, laughing, people praying for me on the street. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want that for my kids ultimately. But in the end, as someone that's had a disability for decades, I've had it since I was five years old, I felt like I was really set up to make this decision and I I truly, you know, I say this and I don't say this lightly, but I wouldn't change having a disability. Like I'm really disability proud. It's part of my identity. I wouldn't have been able to create this book or the podcast series and I wouldn't be able to make the impact that I'm making in terms of changing attitudes for future generations. So I see it as purpose. Mm. and um, that's how I ended up stepping in and deciding to go on the
1: wild ride of
2: the parenting journey.
0: So, did you change doctors, dare I ask? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And so, when you did decide that's it, uh, you and your husband or you and your partner decided, did you then consult with a gynecologist or you just thought we're just going to give it a go and no, see what happens? Yeah,
2: like we didn't. Because there's a lot yeah.
0: of testing involved, isn't there, pre?
2: Yeah, yes. yeah. No, not really. For the most part, the maternity, you know, nurses, obstetricians were okay. I think ultimately they were scared. They were worried how I was going to manage. So for the first birth, they didn't let me move from the bed. When I look back on it, because I've had a, a second birth that was completely different. And yeah, I do move differently, but I can still move around. And I wasn't given that choice with my first baby because they were so nervous that I'd fall or so, yeah, that was a really hard birth because sometimes your body actually needs to move <laughs> for the baby to <laughs> progress. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was tricky. I I did, um, it was, the, the discrimination generally was around genetics and that was to do with when you went to have your ultrasound and mm. they would try and say, like, kind of couldn't believe that I was going down the path of just having a birth without going through genetic counselling and trying to make sure that they couldn't see anything that they perceived as, as wrong.
0: So yeah. you didn't have genetic counselling. Why? Because you just, it, it didn't matter what the outcome was. Is that yeah. right?
2: And, yeah, so that they, they were kind of the, the attitudes that I faced. Also just, I remember after the first child just saying, like a lady said to me, well, you can't have a second now. You shouldn't have a second. And it's like, yeah, just... It's just unbelievable because just the the pregnancy and the birth and having Archie, like that's my son, my second child, they they were all such great experiences. And
0: And if you'd listened to them, you would have been deprived of
2: that. So
0: go back to your first baby. What's your first baby's name? Uh, Isabel. Isabel. So for any parent, you come home, you've never done this before, and it's tough.
2: Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like I remember coming home and just saying to my partner, Carl, how do we do this? How do we manage? Um, mm. And there were added complexities there, but Carl is a great support. And, you know, there were, there were things I was just afraid to do. Like I didn't want to give my daughter a bath. I was just, it's just too afraid to hold her because I have muscle loss and sometimes shake in my hands. So there were things that I was just... Didn't want to try, and I was definitely with my second more willing to give things a go. And I also pushed for more adaptive technology as well that could help me um, give Archie a bath safely. Yeah, like I was always so nervous that I would fall while holding them because, I, as I said, I fall over regularly, mm. and I did I actually did fall holding both of them. But I think the thing is when you're holding a baby or a child, you just automatically, as a parent, go into protective mode. And so I didn't drop them or they didn't they didn't even notice. It was just like mm. I fell straight to my knees just holding them just safely. Mm. Um, in your chest. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you feel it coming on that you're going
0: to fall? Does uh, it get-
2: sometimes it can just be um, something that's in the room on the floor that I didn't Oh, okay. Yeah, so now my daughter is seven years old and she moves all the toys off the floor constantly. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's quite quite amazing. It's like I have someone that (laughs) also helps with the cleaning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think kids are so
0: adaptable like that and you'll have a better view on it. But, you know, I remember a friend of mine, she had a um, a hip replacement at a very early age and so therefore she couldn't hold her toddler. You know, she couldn't bend down and pick up for a long time. But do you know that that child just never had that expectation. It did every you know, yeah. she did everything else, you know, she'd exactly. pull out the chair for for her. She kids adapt, you know. And
2: exactly they adapt. take on
0: a bit more responsibility, I think. And there's nothing wrong with that.
2: Yeah, you are spot on. I think there's a real misconception that kids the other flip of the coin is that kids look after you. So, especially yeah. there's misconceptions around parents that are blind So when they're out in society, generally people will be like, oh, you you know, it's so great that your kids are looking after you. I think that there's two sides of that. A, um, it shows that people just don't think that parents with disability are capable, which they are, and Mm -hmm. this book really proves that they are capable and that we find interesting creative ways to adapt to be great parents. But the other side of that is actually, there There are some kids that do just like to help. And in the book, there's two deaf parents that speak about their child loves to, to interpret. And so sometimes they'll go to the you know fish and chip shop and the child will say, please let me interpret, please. And the parent will say, okay, to, today you can, but I think they also choose when to let the, their child step, step up and take that role and not to then burden them with that role. And not to rely on them, and also just to show their kids that they don't really need it and that they are capable. Mm. Um, but some kids just really enjoy that. Mm. Uh, tell me, have you passed on the gene to either of your children? I don't know at this stage. So when you test for Charcot Marie Tooth, it's a really invasive electric shocks that go Sorry. through your system, and it's really painful. And I remember as a child, hot, just hate hating it. It was like the most incredibly painful experience and so I've decided not to test them but I'll know anyway as if they show symptoms um at this point I'm not sure yet mm. so talk to me about the book and talk to me about which of your
0: you know some talk to me about some of the stories and maybe you have a favorite that you want to talk about
2: oh goodness I have so many <laughs> I love know, the title by pre- the way oh thank you yeah yeah, 25 parents in this book, as you said, identify as deaf, disabled or chronically ill. It was really hard to choose which parents were in this book, but in the end I chose an intersection of di- different disability and also intersection of people from culturally and linguistically diverse uh, First Nation Australians and people that identify as queer. As I said, I can't really choose my favourite, but I do absolutely love reading Micheline's piece. And the reason I love her piece is she's um, Malaysian and she speaks about um, going through the adoptive world, I guess, system and adopting a child and just how she had to basically fake it. <laughs> she had to um, have the adoptive agency come out and she had to pre-prepare all the vegetables you know, they're all cut up so that it didn't look like she struggled even with cutting vegetables. You know, she she really just had to push and prove, but in the end it all worked out and she was able to adopt her her now son who's an adult. But I also loved her sharing her vulnerability. She speaks about shame. And whilst all, I would say all, all parents in this book are, uh, are proud of their identity as a person with disability, Micheline speaks about it really honestly around that, yes, you can be disability proud, but there still is vulnerability and shame, and she says that her child becomes embarrassed to walk alongside her wheelchair into the school and that she then falls out of her wheelchair and her son doesn't come and try and support her. He just stands far away and watches on, and how she felt that embarrassment and shame. So I just... I find that just a, a yeah really honest and vulnerable space to talk about.
0: Mm. There are so many stories, but if I know most teenagers and the ones that I know over the years... There comes a point right and I'm not trying to trivialize her experience at all but there comes a point where you can't drop them off at the school anymore because they're just embarrassed of you regardless I, I,
2: I did think that but I think because her son was so young at mm. uh, the primary age uh, that the school wouldn't allow parents not to come in he was that young but I do I can see that I think it's a very human experience mm. um, but I guess the most important stories within this book, the ones around the discrimination faced in the medical system when, you know, two deaf parents who had their child uh, have the screening, hearing screening test and they weren't given an interpreter to understand what was happening and the nurse was overjoyed and shook their hands and congratulated them that their child could hear and wasn't like them. Or the two blind parents that had the social worker called straight away um, because they were deemed uh, incapable of having children and now their their son is absolutely thriving. Or the the parents with intellectual disability where 60% of of parents with intellectual disability have their children taken by child protection. And I'm not saying that child protection isn't an important part of our world there's reason for it sometimes it is unsafe for children to stay with their parents but that is the case for non-disabled people as well
0: absolutely
2: in this case though these parents were very capable Mm. and luckily they had family support that was able to get them um, a lawyer and they went to court and the judge ended up apologizing and saying I'm so sorry that you're here I can't believe you're here and you obviously um dedicated to parenting and like you you you've shown us that you are great parents and they have you know as i said great family support in place as well and that again their child is in primary school and thriving and they're a very very happy family Mm -hmm. um but this wasn't the case for heather smith that's in in the book and she speaks about losing her child and that was due to lack of support. She got one maternal health nurse visit into her house, nothing else. And as a parent with intellectual disability, uh, like all of us, parenting is challenging and parenting can be scary and where do you learn? Parent? Where do you learn how to be a parent? Really, you get a couple of days at the hospital, and there you go on your way home. So, as a parent with intellectual disability, there are added complexities in the mix. To not be given any sort of support services or education on how to be a parent, I just cannot believe it. And it, you know, research shows that children and parents uh, have far better chance of thriving together. So, oh, absolutely definitely change that needs to happen in the space. Mm. And so how did you select the people? Did you you just know people or how did you do this? It was a mixture of being so engrossed in the disability community here in Australia and and knowing lots of people. So I reached out Mm. to people that I knew of and knew had great stories, but I also wanted to make it fair. So I put out different um, call outs and posts online because I wanted to stop to be open to whoever was out there mm. so there was a mixture of the two well, you were you inundated yes mm. <laughs> and there is a, a US and UK overseas version coming out December 3 through Scribe and I've just put the call out for that and I have to say that was even a bigger uh, influx of oh I can imagine people reaching out
0: yeah Wonderful to chat with you, Eliza. I really have enjoyed our conversation and it's a great book. It's called We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents.
2: Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or
1: visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.